What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of After the Game, a conversation with my dad, where we talk about the post-jazz game and all things sports-related. I am coming out of Southern Utah. My name is Spencer. Hey, and this is Barry, the dad, coming to you from Connecticut. So we have both ends of the country covered. Big win tonight by the Utah Jazz as they win two in a row in this series now. They win 120-113 in Memphis to go up 3-1, the only, the only playoff uh, matchup in the West to now be at three and one. All three others are at two and two. Spencer, what are your initial thoughts on the big jazz win tonight? So I'll be kind of quick just to give time for us to get to the stats and kind of get to your part. But I thought the, the, it was a great win mainly because of confidence and confidence goes in different directions here. It goes with us get winning three games after losing our first game. So we're kind of regaining our respect in the league. We're kind of regaining our, our presence as the number one team. So there we go with that confidence to go in to, to close out the series and say, Hey, listen, it was a fluke game one. We're still number one. So don't sleep on us. Here we go. We're back at it. Number two, the confidence was big because when we have confidence, like we did at the end of the fourth quarter, it just shows the caliber of team we are. And that really was what closed it out. We had confidence in, in Mitchell. We had confidence in Gobert, and we just had confidence in our game. And that's what brought the overall game to to where it was at the end of the game when we won. And second or third, the the confidence that we took away from Memphis will probably trickle down to the next game. But especially when when you when when Brooks has confidence, he's going to be really good. And that's not what we want. We want to make sure that he doesn't feel like he's a good player and make him think that he's not playing well. That way, his confidence takes away from his abilities. Yeah, great insights on the confidence. I mean, there were runs there in the game where the Grizz had it. This team is, just has no fear. And it's not only Brooks and it's not only Morant. We see Melton have the same type of night tonight with confidence uh, that the Grizzlies had. But confidence has run into, in two straight games, maturity and just competence, right? And the ability to be smart and to win a game and to uh, go up 3-1 in the series, stand on the Grizzlies and some of the confidence that they had versus the confidence and competence that the Jazz had. Uh, John Moran had 23 points and 12 assists tonight, another solid game for him. Dylan Brooks cooled off a bit, still 21 points tonight. Valanciunas had his night at 14 points and 12 rebounds. Jaron Jackson played a better game than he's played this series with 21 points and six rebounds. But really, the night belonged to DeAndre Melton, who went for 15 points and five rebounds, all 15 of those points coming in the fourth quarter in a very scrappy comeback by the Grizzlies there in the fourth. It was a short spurt for Melton. It kind of was almost a surprise, and it caught the Jazz off guard. They didn't score a basket starting the fourth quarter for about six or seven minutes, and that's when Melton really came in. And there's a lot of reasons why maybe the Jazz did that, uh, didn't, didn't convert, but they were still scoring points off of the foul line, which kind of gave them a little bit of leverage. But at this point, the Jazz were only up by like 10 going into the fourth quarter, and in the first couple minutes is where we wanted to see the jazz expand that lead to even get up to a 20 point lead and really close that, that, that gap or really close the game and, and make the gap even bigger. But they didn't do that because they just missed those shots. And then Melton took advantage of that. Grayson Allen hit a couple of good threes. Um, he finished with eight points. He had a, a pretty good night, even defensively. And it, again, it was just a, another scary moment, but the jazz went on a run and they, and they kind of, showed why they're the number one team and, and took over. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. And again, we said this the other night showing why they're the number one team, a team with 52 wins, 30 losses, some veterans on that team 
and uh, did well. I'm just going to call out a couple of things here and, and let your thoughts come on back this up. A solid night by Rudy Gobert, 17 points, eight rebounds, and assists. For me, um, let's see what he did at the free throw line. Seven for nine at the free throw line. And he wow. had some clutch free throws. So, uh, yeah, wow, indeed. It, it was just a really nice game by Gomer. Conley hit a couple of threes late. He ended up with 11 points, three rebounds, seven assists. Not a stat line that jumps out at you. But there's one thing that if you watch this game tonight, and, and you really have to look at this, and if you go back and watch it, please do. In the fourth quarter, there were some missed shots by the Jazz, and the Grizzlies started to run, Melton on one and John Moran on the other. And Conley picked them up at three-quarter court really quickly and shut them down before they got into the half court as quick as they normally do. You got to give it to Mike Conley. Regardless of what the stats look like tonight, we know he had stellar the first three games of this series. He is putting on a show, and this is the reason why we went out and got him a couple of years ago. So all of us, I'll include myself, maybe not all of you listening, but most of us were saying, why, why, why? Why $30 million on this guy? He's worth every penny in this playoff series right now. And quite frankly, has been during the season and was in the bubble last year. So I got to give kudos to Mike Conley for another great game tonight. He really stopped the momentum, which was big. And he came in, even though he hadn't had a, a good start to the game, like he had the past three games, he was able to make the impact when it mattered most. And I think he's really just figured it out from a veteran standpoint. I mean, he was the oldest all-star ever, I think, to be the first time all-star. Right. So he has that maturity and he has that composure as well. And like I said, the confidence that he brings to the team when he's in helps him a lot. He did state at the end of last game that he felt like a villain against Memphis, his former team. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of played into kind of his competitiveness. And he's clearly a, a well-composed guy, but he, he loves to take over, the, take over um, the momentum of the game. And he can really control that being one of the oldest players out there. Um, it's interesting, though, because the Jazz don't have one player on the Jazz that have won a championship. So this team is still – obviously, they've, they've been in the playoffs before, but there's no real – player on the team that's won a ring before so it's interesting to see the, how the Jazz play I thought O'Neal I got to give a shout out to O'Neal I thought he played really well he had some good threes when needed and then he had nine rebounds one assist and three steals so defensively O'Neal was kind of good Favors also had a pretty good impactful night with eight points and five rebounds and his presence there on defense kind of slowed down or didn't really allow Morant to start making his floaters and so that's really where the big game difference was from the past three games is Morant's floater game was on point but this game, he kind of struggled. Obviously, he put up about 12 assists, right? So he mm -hmm. he still was engaged, just not as engaged as he usually is. 23 points is still 23 points, but he's coming off of big numbers with the points. And I think it's because of favors and Gobert's presence to stop his floaters from falling. And, and he missed a couple of threes as well. Yeah, a couple of points on that. This might be just the genius of... Quinn Snyder, Spence. This might be Quinn letting the series play out, understanding what John Morant wants to do. We might not know all the little changes, but we certainly saw O'Neal, you know, really bodying up on a lot of people tonight. You got to give him credit. You know, who cares about the nine points and nine rebounds? That's almost a bonus for, for O'Neal on a night like tonight. The three points were dropping for him, which is so good to see. And yet his defense was really, really good. I have one crazy additional stat here, and I use the word addition because it truly is adding. But I thought, why, why are we not seeing 
Um, Bogdanovich get a lot of points tonight. He had 13 points. And why is Ingles not getting a lot of points? Clarkson shot 18 times tonight and Mitchell shot 22 times tonight. Hmm. Those two combined put up 40, if my math is right, 40 shots. Hooray for Clarkson, started to nail his threes, four for nine, had 24 points and surprisingly six rebounds. So Clarkson and Mitchell with 30 points, two rebounds and eight assists, they shot the ball a lot. So that's, that's not having the ball in Bogdanovich's hands. And we could go on and on, but there's, there's two big things. Mitchell is a superstar, closed the game again. And we are so happy to have him and he completes this team. We can see why he would have impacted game one. And maybe this would be a sweep right now if he would have played in game one, who knows? But um, just want to make mention of that. And, and I don't know if it's worth spending a lot of time on. 24 minutes tonight for Ingles, two points, five rebounds, four assists. Not a great stat line, but, but five rebounds, four assists, not bad. But it's truly not the Ingles game that we're used to to get you know, more points than he's getting. He had three points the other night and only two points tonight. This kind of shows the depth of the, the, depth of the Jazz, though. I mean, obviously, you want every player to play well and it's kind of hard when when Ingles has had back-to-back performances like this but it doesn't seem to hurt his kind of I don't know how to say but chemistry or kind of flow with the team you do see that he has taken a little step back I don't know if that's just because he notices that he's not playing well but he's kind of allowed other players to to step up which which kind of shows his maturity within a team to know when when to when to deliver and when to just step back. And, and I, I wanted to be playing better because he obviously is a big, big key for the jazz, but I mean, other players have stepped up. We obviously got the win. It's what, which is what matters the most. And the jazz played well. They made their threes that we joked about this last game, but the numbers really, the expected numbers really seem to play out this game. Like they did last game. If you look at each team's expected, average numbers that they put up each game they kind of merge into those towards the end of the last three or four minutes when all of a sudden Memphis that had been making shots all games that they don't usually make start missing shots that the Jazz usually make that have been missing start falling and so it kind of evens out to where the players or where the team actually is in terms of averages and that just shows that the Jazz have a better overall team versus the Grizzlies and so it was good to see the expected numbers deliver and, and put the jazz over the top. Yeah. Great point on the statistics. The numbers generally bear out, you know, I well, all throughout my age, and this is a father son conversation. We've talked about this in the past. It, it's taken me now nearly 35, 40 years of watching the jazz to not get so aggravated or even watching basketball. And I worked for a stint at the NBA for six years and ran a G league team, as we mentioned in, a couple of episodes ago and I used to get so worked up but it seems like bad calls even themselves out and you just said one another thing numbers and statistics generally bear out and the Jazz are the best three-point shooting team in the league and they are averaging 16.7 rounded up to 17 made threes a game and how many did they have tonight 17 how many did they have the last two games 19 how many did they have in the first game 14. I think if you average all those out, they're probably shooting 16 to 17 threes a game. So averages and numbers do bear out and generally that team wins. So um, on the post game of the TNT tonight, there was a conversation about 
the completeness of the Utah Jazz. They are a complete right. team. And, and Ernie Johnson actually said, or, or, or Charles Barkley, they go too deep at almost every position. Niang didn't have a bad game, but he had a little bit of a stretch there when we were, we were kind of getting hit upon the head in the fourth quarter. But um, we, we do. We have a deep team. And we might not have made a deep playoff run yet, but there are veterans on this team who have made runs. Mike Conley's been in the Western Conference Finals, and Jordan Clarkson's played with LeBron James, and Rudy's in his eighth season, and Donovan's a, you know, a three-time All-Star, and so, um, or two-time All-Star. So anyway, I'm rambling a little bit on this. The Jazz are a complete team, and that's going to bear out. And the averages or the statistics, which you just called out, Spencer, are going to see their way through. I think throughout the whole playoffs. So question about the completeness of the team and you can give me your insight on this and we'll, and we'll move on. But do you think Donovan having been injured is back to hundred percent Donovan Mitchell? Uh, I, I think he's getting close. I just barely moved off of the stats. Maybe you have them, but he's playing how many minutes tonight? He played 35 minutes. So he'd averaged 28 averaged. He'd been 28, 29, 30 minutes in the last couple of games. Now he's up to 35. So my answer to you is he, he's getting there. I don't think he's a hundred percent. He was eight for 22. You'd love to see him maybe shoot better than that. Maybe 10 for 22. I don't think you're ever going to see him shoot 50%, um, but he's getting there. I don't think he's a hundred percent yet. So I have a stat right here. It's the NBA most points in a playoff game by an active player. This is four days old. So like it could be a little dated, but Donovan Mitchell is number one. Back in um, August 17th of 2020, he scored 57 points. And then he's also number four, which back in August 20, uh, 23rd, he, uh, he scored 51 points. So he, he holds the record for most points in a playoff game by an active player. So that's kind of where we want to see Donovan at 100%. He's done it. He did it twice last year. Obviously, they blew the series after being up 3-1. But that is the Donovan Mitchell that we're looking forward to seeing. And maybe it doesn't need to come this series, but maybe next season, if they play the Clippers or the Mavericks, we'll see 100% Donovan where he's getting those high numbers, and which comes with longer minutes. Yeah, we all know coming out of the All-Star break that Donovan is actually, I think, the number two scorer or mm -hmm. right in there in the league before he got injured. And I think he was only behind Steph Curry. And people aren't talking too much about that, and they should. This guy's a superstar. I think we need to move past what's been said about him by other prominent announcers on television and just call him what he is. He is a superstar. He has taken over and won the last two games down the stretch with his teammates, finding his teammates, but being a calming influence in a very difficult atmosphere on the road in the playoffs. So a uh, great win by the Jazz, 120-113. They go up 3-1 in the series. Again, the only Western Conference series to be at a 3-1. They'll be back on Wednesday night in Utah, 7.30 Mountain Time, 9.30 Eastern Time to see if they can close out. Taylor Jenkins made a comment tonight in the postgame. They're going to come out and play loose and free and hard like they've been playing, the Grizzlies are, and it's going to be the toughest game of the year for the Jazz. Closeout games are really, really, really tough. And we saw it tonight in a transition now. We saw it tonight actually in Washington, D.C., where the Wizards actually stole a game from Philadelphia to force a game five in that series back in Philly in a couple of days. When you're playing a team with their back against the wall, it's kind of a little bit more harder to anticipate something just because they're playing at a different level or a different style of basketball 
but I think the Jazz can do it. And I hope they do mainly for that confidence, knowing that, hey, we might have lost the first game. That doesn't mean anything is behind us now. We just pretty much swept them for the rest of the series, which I think they will. I think going back to Utah, the fans are expecting that and they, the Jazz don't want to give any more life to Memphis. But again, it is sometimes hard to play against a scrappy game, which does make it harder to anticipate, harder to plan and harder to just kind of develop a flow. And that's kind of where the Jazz struggle because they're very good technically, but it kind of gets a little bit harder for them when it's a sloppier game, which sometimes more athletic, more younger teams kind of bring when they're with their backs against the wall. But I think this will be a good game, and I I, I have confidence in the Jazz. So hopefully they yeah. can finish it. I saw something tonight at the end of the game. Um, O'Neal was pumped, and he chest right. butted, uh, chest bumped um, Conley, and he went to do the same to to Mitchell. But I think Mitchell reminded him we've been here as in last August up three, one. And I don't think a Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert or really any on anybody on that team is going to be celebrating too much tonight. We've been here before first round up three, one, the different story, but it was in the bubble. So we'll see, let's take a step back to last night and, and, and catch up on Sunday, Monday and the games that have happened. First of all, I'll go and I'll treat the Knicks, uh, Hawks, that series in the East, a four or five series, the, the Hawks are up three, one Trey young hit some big baskets last night. Uh, it's hard for the Knicks to be on the road. Again, this is a team that has not been in the playoffs for not saying that the Hawks have, but the Hawks have a little bit more continuity with the Knicks coming in with some fresh guys this past year. So uh, unfortunately the Knicks are now down three, one, but I guarantee that I think it's tomorrow or maybe it's Wednesday night trying to scramble here that they'll be back Wednesday night at Madison Square Garden. That place will be rocking. But looks like the Hawks are up 3-1 and, and uh, really have a little bit of a stranglehold on this series. Might need a little bit more from Randall. Derek Rose is playing out of this world. He's leading the team in points with 22.8 points a game and in assists with averaging five assists. Obviously, Trey Young is averaging 10 assists and 27.5 points, but Randall really is, I, I kind of wanted to step up a little bit more and, and show that that caliber of all-star he is. I believe he's a tier one all-star. And what that means is he is a killer all-star and just comes out to dominate. And I haven't really seen his ferocity that he has a reputation of. And I'm hoping that that comes because the garden is no better place to, to show that, that kind of competitiveness. Yeah, that's right. Let me ask you a quick question before we move off of this series. What do you think about Trey Young? Do you think he is here to stay? Do you see him being a game changer? We saw Steph Curry change the game with his three-point shot a few years ago. Um, is Trey Young going to ascend somewhat to that level because of his shooting? He might. He definitely doesn't shy away from big games, and that is already a telling sign of where somebody is going. Somebody that wants the ball at the end throughout the whole game and, and is young enough to kind of have that determination. I think he has a chance to make a big difference. It's going to be interesting to see who he can put around him. Maybe he might need one or two other players to kind of back him up, which is common throughout the league. He is changing the game in the way that a lot of defenders are afraid of guarding him, mainly because he draws a lot of fouls. I don't know if it's intentional or part of his game plan, but he definitely seems to play a game where he gets the line quite a bit, but he also is because he makes those shots. So you can't ignore his, his shooting percentage and give him space, which is just resulting in him getting to the foul line. But to answer your question, yes, I think over the next maybe three, 
to five years, he's going to be a key, uh, I guess, all-star for the league in, in that he will be carrying the teams and he'll be the key player within a lot of systems. What about you? I, yeah, listen, when he came into the league and I think he played his first summer league game in Utah in that in the summer league there in Utah, and I, I, I really had my doubts. This was just a gunslinger, just some guy who just hoisted up the minute he got past half court in college sometimes, and those are the highlights that you saw. And I didn't really think he had a, a full, we'll use the word, complete game. But I'm wrong. I, I, he is good and he is making a difference. He's making a difference when he gets in the paint. He's making a difference when he gets across half court. He's got good handles and he's got his team into the playoffs and it looks like they can win a first round series. So there are other great players around him, John Collins and, and uh, a number of others that are on that team. But um, I, I'm not, I'm not going to go as far as say, well, I really like Trey Young, but I have to give him his props for being a solid player that looks like he can get a first round series and, and could ascend to a great stardom uh, as he continues in the league. Moving on to the next game uh, to talk about Lakers Suns, the Suns, even the series with a kind of an old, kind of an old scoring back in the eighties, nineties, 100 to 92. I yeah. found that really interesting. Um, the Suns, a high scoring team, good defensive team, one of the best against another great defensive team in the Lakers. So it's not shocking to be 100 to 92 yesterday in that game, but um, 100 to 92, the Suns got up and Anthony Davis goes down and is doubtful for game five. I think he's um, out. Yeah. So, so without him, the Suns and, and Chris Paul got a little stronger, looked a little bit better. I will say this, and, and I have to eat my words here because he's a champion. And because he's really talented, but Anthony Davis, to me, when you go back to New Orleans and you go there, he's run through a string of injuries. I think last year was the only time that he really didn't get injured. And there was a big break in the season become a, because of COVID, but there's something about Anthony Davis where he can be a bitch fragile. And I got to be very careful because he's really good and can come mm -hmm. and put a number on anybody at any point in time and could win another championship this year. That's not what I'm saying, but I just feel, I, I, I just wish that he wouldn't get injured like this, but it looks like he's gonna gonna be out. It sounds like for game five. It's a, he has a big body, so you can't you can't argue with the the way he throws it around, and he's definitely athletic. And and so well, it'll be interesting. But a reporter did ask LeBron how he feels about that, and I think his words were, "These my shoulders, LeBron's shoulders, are built to carry the team." So he is not gonna shy away. They're playing in Phoenix next game, right? Is that yeah? So series is yeah, tied two to two. And LeBron is ready to carry the team. And I, that's scary to me if I'm Phoenix. It's going to be interesting to see if Chris Paul is back at 100%. But it'll be a, an interesting game. And this could be telling of where that series ends up with who gets this win. As a Jazz fan, I love all these series. Yeah. You too. Because it means that if we can go and close the door on Wednesday night, that... Uh, these other series could go a little bit longer. So that, uh, that one will be interesting. Um, also in the East, we had the Nets, uh, the Nets who are built to outscore everybody. <laughs> One, mm -hmm. 141 to 126 against the Celtics. They do take a 3-1 lead in the East. I, I, that's, that's going back to Brooklyn so, now. I just don't see how the, the Celtics fight back on this one. Big note, this is the all three All-Stars or Hall of Famers, I should say, were playing this one. And so the Nets' big three in game four 
combined for a total of 104 points. <laughs> I mean, That's nuts. That is nuts. These guys are so good. They are scary good. Can you imagine if one guy has a night off, you have two other Hall of Famers who can just crush it? Kyrie Irving. Here's, I heard an interesting comment about this. Kyrie Irving, the year he won the championship with LeBron, will go one year earlier, I think. LeBron wasn't there. So LeBron comes back from Miami, goes to Cleveland, and, and the ball comes out of Irving's hands just a touch, just a touch. But it allowed him... It allowed him to do what he does, and that is create when he did get the ball and attention was on LeBron. Well, now you've got Irving in a similar situation. He can be a stud superstar for this team because the ball is in Harden's hands. So Harden effectively has become the LeBron James of the Nets that LeBron James was with Cleveland hmm. as you think about what Irving does with the Nets. I know. There's just so much going on and so much that you have to worry about when you're playing them. So it'll be – It'll be, I, I bet you they close out the series and it, and it might be over for Celtics. Yeah. The, the last game on uh, Sunday was the Clippers evening the series and really sticking it to the Mavericks as they won 106 to 81. They win by 25 points. The Clippers have woke up. Uh, they, they look like the team that most people talked about that they would be. Kawhi Leonard goes for 29 points, 10 rebounds, three assists. Paul George goes for 20 points and nine rebounds. But the Clippers have been winning handily the last two games charles barkley on tnt said yeah. it is he guaranteed that the that the mavs would not win another game he's been right for the last two but this series now heads back to the clippers with each team respectively winning on the other team's floor so mavs got two in la and then the clippers got two <laughs> in dallas so now it goes back to it goes back to the to the clips two two what do you think about that series being a jazz fan not saying what you want you can if you'd like but what are you thinking about this series? Maybe uh, the Clippers woke up and you don't really want to hear that. We, we've been talking about it before on what their motivation is or kind of where their headspace is in terms of aggressiveness. But it seems like they didn't want to be known for kind of not caring about the playoffs or not caring about basketball. And I think it's going to be tough because it, sometimes it doesn't matter how good Luca is if the other team's better then the other team's better. And so Luca definitely has the abilities to win games and to win a playoff game against um, the Clippers, but it's going to be hard if Kawhi and George don't really want that to happen in, in the sense that they're going to be, be putting up numbers to win, but it is, this is, this, this game is in LA, right? So yes. it's going to be a little bit of a challenge and it will be hard for the Mavericks to come back if they lose and go down three, two, which does mean a potential Clippers versus jazz round two. Yeah. I mean, too hard to call either one of these, who knows? I mean, the Rudy Gobert said it best in his post game interview tonight on TNT. He said, listen, this is the league where any team can win. Generally your one and two seeds get there. It's the same in the NCAA basketball. Generally, you're one and two and seeds get to the NCAA Final Four. But it's a little scarier than it's ever been. I think teams are, are in precarious situations. Who would have thought that the Lakers would be the seven seed? Who would have thought the Jazz would be the one seed? I mean, we did because we're Jazz fans. But, but So it's a little bit of a clunky season. So the only series we haven't talked about and uh, it, it, that is getting really interesting is the Denver – Portland series. It's tied 2-2 as well. It goes back to Denver. 
um, and we'll see what they can do. If we've been talking a big game all year about Jokic being the MVP, let's see what the MVP can do in a 2-2 tie in a series. This is where home court advantage really plays its part because obviously these teams are now tied. We talked about the Clippers and now we're talking about Denver. They're tied in their series, but now they're going home and now they can get a little bit of com- uh, they can get a little bit more comfortable and not I want to say comfortable, but they they're in their own beds and they're with their own fans, and that kind of gives them a little bit of an edge to win and put them in almost check position to take the series. And yeah, it will come down to, to, to whether or not Jokic is an MVP or not, because if he is, then he's going to put it away and put them up one more game. But obviously Lillard has that different tier of all-star, like I was talking about earlier, where he is a dominant, he is a killer, and, and he's going to go after them. But Jokic just goes and wins, and he goes and scores, and he goes and gets rebounds and does everything. <laughs> it's hard to beat. So yeah, it'll be interesting. So so true. So true. That's going to be, that'll be a fun one. All these series are fun. I think for me, I have my eye on the Lakers sons. There's right. just a lot. There's a story within a story within a story, right? LeBron, can he do it? Chris Paul, how healthy is he? Devin Booker, a rising star. AD, is he out? Contavious called Will Pope. Where was he? Will he come back? That's a great series. 2-2. Two, two. And you said it just now, and and I think in basketball more than any other sport, home court advantage is a huge, huge advantage. And the percentages are in the home team's favor. And now we go back to the Suns. They fought hard all year long to be a number one or number two seed and to have that home court advantage as long as they have it. And now it's going to come, now it's going to come home for a lack of a better word and a lack of a better pun. It's coming home for home court advantage to see what the Suns can do against the Lakers. I have a couple of interesting points with the Suns. Um, apparently, Chris Paul was supposed to sit out the last game they played. Monty Williams was preparing to, to start campaign instead. But then Chris Paul said, coach told me he was going to sit me. I told him, heck no. So that just shows the determination of Chris Paul. He knows his own body, and obviously he's not going to put himself in a place that will damage him for the future. But he does know this is his window. He does know it's closing. This might be one of his last seasons to get a championship. So he's going to want to play every game and make sure the team wins. And he's in the, they're in the best spot to win with him. And so he's going to bring it and, and he sees his window of opportunity for championship closing. And so that's going to affect a lot of how he handles each game. But also he did say, apparently um, Scott Foster, you know, the, the official, that yes. has been officiating against the Suns and the Lakers. Chris Paul made a quick note. He said 11 in a row is the amount he's lost when Scott Foster has officiated against Chris or not against, but has officiated the game with Chris Paul. So Chris Paul has lost 11 games in a row with Scott Foster officiating. And that's what happened the other game or might happen. And so I don't know what your take is on that, but do you feel like officiating does have an impact on players? I do know that offic- that, uh, that, that referees, that there are some of those things that are, that are there. I don't know. I don't, I used to think all the time that it made a difference. I used to say, Oh my gosh, Joey Crawford, he's refereeing against the jazz. We're in trouble. I do believe that is real. And you'll hear coaches hint towards it. Maybe, uh, they try not to say it because they could get fined. Um, th- there, there's something to it. I don't think that there's a lot to it. 
Um, so I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know how, where to go with that comment. Um, I will say this, if Paul was going to sit, he came out and had 18 points, three rebounds and nine assists, not bad for a guy that you were going to sit who comes out and basically helps his team to a victory against the defending champions. It goes back to him realizing his window of opportunity to win the championship is closing and the Suns are generally in their best spot of winning when he's on the court. And we weren't calling anybody out with the officiators. It's just interesting to see kind of where the players are at, uh, where their headspace is at when they're playing games and off the court. And that was just a comment he had made. But overall, I think Chris Paul, his your skills have to match your level of determination. And he definitely is determined, but can he bring the abilities needed to beat the Lakers? And it's just, it's up in the air right now. And home court advantage does have its perks. So maybe, maybe being in, in Phoenix will help. Yeah. Going back to the officiating, I do know this. There are some officiators who officiate to be seen. There are some officiators that officiate to officiate. And some of these refs like a Scott Foster might officiate and, and, and want to be, this is going to sound really strong, want to be seen hmm. late in games. And, and, and not steal the spotlight. That's even stronger, but they, they don't mind the limelight. And when you get a little bit older and you've been around a little bit longer, like Scott Foster has, it's a possibility that, Hey, I'm me. I don't care if you're Chris Paul. I don't care if you're LeBron James, I'm going to officiate. And, and, and it's about me at times. And I'm not saying he's saying that I, I, but I have seen some officials who like to be seen. I love officials who don't like to be seen. I love officials who I go, oh my gosh, I, I've seen his face, but I've never had an issue with any of the calls. It is hard to be a, a, an NBA referee. When I was in the G League and we had some of these guys who actually you see now in all these games, they were in the G League when I was a team president and they'd come into the locker room and you know they're making very little money and in, in, in refereeing these games. It's hard. It, th- these mm. bodies are big. They are fast. They are strong. The ball moves quickly. Uh, the, the minute you start getting on a ref for bad calls, just think, how, how could you do any better? It still bugs me when they make bad calls. There were a couple of calls tonight in the jazz game where it's like, those were two bad calls and Quinn lost his school and got a T he rightfully so should have, but there are also some calls the mystery got tonight that I go, Oh gosh, I'm glad I'm not a grizzly fan. Cause I would have been upset at that. And that's just part of efficient. It is hard, really, really hard. It was just interesting to see Chris Paul's character, I guess, maybe. I'm not trying to put anything on him, but he kind of seems like somebody that likes to talk with officials and likes to point out mistakes that are out of his control. And so it's interesting to see kind of his point of pressure. It is very hard to be an official. So it's even harder when you have athletes that, that can do almost anything when they have the ball. But yeah, it'll be, it'll be a fun series to watch. This is where it really gets interesting. Game, game five is usually telling if the series gets to game five, what's going to happen with the rest of the series. And so we're going to learn a lot more about every team and every matchup and potential second rounds. So this will be a fun, fun couple of days to watch where the series are going. Another quick little fact from sports center. Um, this year's finals will be the first one without Iguodala since 2014. <laughs> That's a great stat. That's a great stat. Iguodala has made a living being on championship teams or in the NBA finals. Crazy that he came back last year and that the Heat, a fifth seed in the playoffs in the bubble, made it to the NBA finals. And that just goes to show that guy. Can be uh, I, I think of him and that stat you just gave, Spence, which is a great stat. 
and Robert Ory. Robert Ory was doing the same yeah. thing, you know, all of a sudden showing up in all these NBA finals. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun to watch. Like I said earlier, no jazz player or active player right now has a ring on the jazz bench or on the jazz starting five. So it's going to be fun. They definitely have that determinist to to make it to the finals and make a statement saying we did it this season. There's no argument that we are that we deserve respect. Yep, we'll see. We'll see how it all ends up. So uh, just another it, it's good. It's good to be a jazz fan tonight. Uh, they and, and watching what they did the last two games and get it out and taking a 3-1 lead in the Western Conference where they can close out on Wednesday, which will be great because they might get a day or two rest if these other games go longer, these other series go longer. I think they will. It'll give them a lot of confidence and they're not going to let, let what happened last year repeat itself. So here's to another win. You got it. It's June for me since it's 1.17 a.m. Uh-huh. in the East. It's almost June for you, but Spence, always good to chat. Thanks, Dad. Have a good night. All right. See you. Bye.